everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Entrepreneur Rx. This week, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Eric Eliam. He's a physician, two-time entrepreneur, successful exit, investor, educator, and mentor. Eric is a founder and former CEO of MyHouseVisit.com, which is an organization that provides medical home visits to the elderly and homebound. He founded the company right after he completed his residency in New York Presbyterian Brooklyn Methodist Hospital. Eric, welcome to the podcast. And God, right out of residency, you couldn't just take it like a year off and practice medicine? No, no, I had to jump right in. And thank you so much for having me, John. I, I love your show. It helps so many entrepreneurs, especially physicians in the medical field. So thank you for that. Thank you. Okay, so okay, let, let's back up. Medical school, college, give us a little background. Yeah, I mean, I kind of go a little more way back as far as what got me interested into medicine. We came to the country in 1989 from Russia. Don't speak the language. My grandmother gets very, very sick as we move on towards I was probably like 11, 12 years old. Ambulance comes, tries to speak English. No one speaks English. I'm the only young kid, right, in the family who knows how to speak English within my mom and dad's family. And um, I volunteer to go to the hospital. And I'm in the ER. And as a 12-year-old kid, I'm looking at all these things. And I see grandma, and she's not doing well. And then my eyes caught the monitor as a 12-year-old. And, and I saw like 70, 80, 70. And all of a sudden, for some reason, I see like 30, 32. And not a doctor, 12-year-old kid. I tell my dad, dad, I just saw that. That was a 70 and now it's a 32. That was her heart rate. Dad was a physician back home in Russia. So he's like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And he said in Russian, go call the doctor. I called the doctor, pointed over there, said it's 32 now. Lo and behold, she had a third degree heart block. She needed a pacemaker and you know, she got a pacemaker. That was my first introduction into uh, the world of medicine. That is crazy. What part of Russia did you guys move from? We came from Uzbekistan when it was part of the former okay. Soviet Union. I was in Moscow in 95 and I toured um, an Americanized medical clinic and then also a Russian-based medical clinic. And, they, and the Russian was said, hey, we got all the technology that a CAT scanner, which you know in the early 90s was kind of a big deal. But either read the films or run the CT scanner, but we have the CT scanner. So it was, it was really interesting. Definitely. Okay, so that was your first taste of medicine, and then... And then, yeah, I mean, then I went to Hofstra for undergrad, and initially I thought I was going to be a dentist, because my dad was a MD in Russia, but he was a, he restudied here dentistry in New York University, um, and the way he was, that's what gave me the drive. When I saw my dad studying anatomy and pathology books in English with a Russian dictionary and writing on the textbooks in Russian above the English word, that said to me like, wow, this, this guy has a drive. I need to emulate that drive. So I was going to be a dentist, didn't know how to study the right way, didn't get into dental school because of my DATs. My friend was in medical school in Dominican Republic. I said, hey, not a dentist, maybe a doctor too, you know, because like I wanted to be a doctor because of my grandmother, but then like my dad said, just be a dentist. And like fate kind of brought me back and said, no, no, this is what you're destined to do. And I went to med school in DR in Dominican Republic, then in the Cayman Islands, did my residency in, in New York Methodist Hospital and, you know, started house calls day one. Wow, that is so, I love the Cayman Islands. So strong work on that one. That would be a great place to go to medical school. Right across and, the street um, from the Ritz-Carlton. I know exactly where it is. I would run on Seven Mile Beach. I knew exactly where the Ritz, never stayed there, but knew where it was. That's very cool. Now I would not have studied at all if I went to medical school in the Cayman Islands. It was hard, I gotta tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's a, 
Man, that's resilience as hell. Okay, so you did three years of internal medicine? Yes. And then what made you, what prompted you to start house calls? As I mentioned a little bit before, my experience with doing house calls was entertaining, odd, and low reimbursement in a difficult situation. And that was in Scottsdale. Tell us about the business. Yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to experiences. And this is my other grandmother from my mom's side. So I'm coming out of residency and uh, I get a call that grandma fell. She doesn't want to go to the hospital. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. I go visit her. I'm like, man, I wish I had a portable x-ray somehow. I wonder if it exists. I go Google it and I see that, yep, they do portable x-rays. I'm like, all right, grandma, don't worry. Look, I'm doing an exam. I think you're okay. You may not need to go to the hospital. Let me just run an x-ray. Did the x-ray, everything's fine. Ordered physical therapy to be done at home for her. I'm like, wow, this is not a lot of people do that anymore. This is a great niche to get into. And I started my house call practice by myself initially. And then I started training mid-level providers like nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And towards the end, uh, we had around 20 mid-level providers working within the organization. Is it, was it all in New York City? It was, yes. Queens, Brooklyn. That must have, I mean, it was hard enough to do in Scottsdale. I can't imagine how difficult it was to do in, in New York with the traffic and just the congestion. I mean, how, seriously, how did you pull that off? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of strategy. The team, it comes back to the team. The team was so mission-driven that it didn't matter to them if they're looking for parking for 30 minutes. It hurt. It was like, oh, I'm wasting time I'm not seeing a patient. But they knew the mission, you know, uh, to take care of those folks who really needed us. And so logistically, some of us had drivers, but most of us just manned it up and looked for parking. Wow. And this was all Medicare and Medicaid patients. Yes. Yes. And, and these are folks who really needed it. You would go to people's homes and they wouldn't have anyone who would take care of them. You would see medication bottles, like 30, 40 medication bottles, and the patient did not know what they were taking. And the first visit, you got paid for about an hour of your time. But again, that wasn't the mission, right? The mission was, how can I help this human being? And that's what we had, the culture of the company. And you spent three hours literally throwing out medications, but then you don't just throw it out, right? You call the pharmacy and you say, hey, please don't send this medication anymore. Because if you throw it out and it's an autopilot in the pharmacy, they're going to get it every month. So it was very, it was a very meaningful experience. It really was. So it wasn't really concierge-based. Or was it? It wasn't concierge-based. A hundred percent Medicare, Medicaid. Our model was to help folks who really needed us. Our grandmothers and grandfathers is what we call them. So, and so this was ongoing care. This was not one-off. So I did the one-off urgent care sort of business. You were doing the ongoing internal medicine care. Yes. We were doing pretty much hospital at home before it became popular. And, and shout out to Rich Rakowski from Medically Home, who actually brought that concept to the forefront in Boston. But we were doing that like regularly, without any funding, just with Medicare and, and Medicaid, for, you know, duels. That is badass. How many patient visits would you guys do in a month? Well, we would do, we would have a rule where we would have seven to eight visits per provider a day. So we would never have 10, 13, 14, because the goal really was quality, not quantity. And you also didn't want to overwhelm. Having a team that's loyal, that's loyal to the mission, to the vision, you have to see things from their perspective too, right? Seeing 13, 14 patients a day will be very difficult. So we saw around seven patients a day. You can kind of scan that out to 20 providers. Yeah. Wow. And then what EHR did you use? We, well, when I started initially, I started on a budget, right? That doctor with a little bag going. So we started with practice fusion. And the reason was because it was free at that time. And so that's that's what I started with. And we I loved it. I mean, we, we used it till the end. And then how long did you have it before it was acquired? 
Yeah, so close to a decade, uh, we were doing house calls, start off alone, then grew the team. And then I there was interest from a really great company called Concierto Care. And shout out to Julian Harris, who's the CEO, Doc Thompson, Dr. Alan Abrams, who's a pioneer in the geriatric field. And they were growing nationally. And we had a merger and acquisition. That was a very interesting learning experience for me from a business side as well. So so what did you so I have had a few of those. So what did you learn? What was what was your takeaway? So I talk about this often. I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. My, my takeaways was A, you have to have something of quality, right? That someone else would want. And it has to be quality because people can see. Number two, as a physician or entrepreneur, numbers are important. So part of my path to the entrepreneurship was I started powering up. I started reading great books like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, right? The personal MBA. I don't have an MBA, but I, I read that book by Josh Kaufman, took notes on it, would wake up five o'clock in the morning. And I have notebooks with notes and formulas of profit margin and net profit margin and return on investment and all that stuff, right? Am I buying a re- remote patient monitoring equipment? What's my return on investment as well? Does it offer quality? Does it affect my NPS score when I'm working with patients? So you power up and then you begin with the end in mind. Because if you know you're going to head towards a merger and acquisition, you have a product ready and it's real. That if someone digs in it, they'll be like, yeah, this is legit. So I love, I love your phrase powering up. But did you really know, you know, one day, July 2nd, after residency, that you're going to do this and you know, someday to be acquired? Because that, be, that would be incredibly prescient. No, no, I did not know. You know, I, I told you it was a grandma story where I said, hey, this is a great. And I see that in life, actually. No matter how much we try to. Steve Jobs said that best. Like we sometimes turn yeah. back and we look back and we see all the dots. Are like, wow, that's why all those dots were there. Connect the dots backwards. I literally just had this conversation today. You know, I, I listen to that Stanford address often, but it's I connect the dots address. backwards makes total sense. Absolutely. So, were you doing hospice care also in this? Yeah. So what happened was, as we were doing house calls, we saw that look. Although we do like hospital at home, there are certain resources that we just don't have. And so initially started referring to the visiting nurse services of New York as for hospice and then started really seeing that we've developed an art to the goals of care conversation. We developed an art to structuring hospice to the patient's needs and not necessarily to what hospice is in that frame, right? And especially for, we work mostly with the Middle Eastern, uh, Bukhari and Jewish communities within New York, and there's a cultural importance there too. And so I started falling in love with hospice and I became the regional medical director of hospice as well. After that, I fell in love with the organization so much because of their values, I transitioned to be a consultant within that organization. So I'll tell you why. Like We had a meeting today in the morning, and Dr. Richelle Dignam, who's the chief medical officer, we were talking with the whole team, and she's like, guys, our goal is not the census. Our goal is how do we increase awareness and access to people who need it most for hospice services? And she meant it. You could feel that in the culture of the company. And last week we had a lady who was very sick and they asked me sometimes to have these difficult goals of care conversations. And we had the primary care doctor, the nephrologist, because it was a CKD patient, two of the family members and the hospice MD. Even before this patient went on to hospice, we had an hour long conversation. Now think about it. The daughters didn't want the patient to go to the hospital. But at the same time, you have the daughter who knew mommy and mom is laying in front of her in the bed and she's passing away and she doesn't know how do you deal with that like who do you call when you see that 
pattern of breathing. Who do you call when mom's eyes, who? And so we were able to walk through that, hold her hand, initiated hospice. She passed away yesterday. I got a call this morning, called the family. And the daughter was like, doctor, thank you so much for what you guys did. My mom wasn't in a cold emergency room. My mom, I said, what about DNR, DNI? Like we had that conversation. My mom was, didn't have anything she didn't want to have done to her. And you and I, John, being physicians, we've seen this whew, so many times, right? And she, she passed away surrounded by her loved ones. And we had the resources. We had that nurse for crisis care to come and take care of her when we needed her most. And so it comes down to values, really. I, I, I really enjoy the work with the, the VNSNY and with hospice. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And, you know, as you pointed out, we've, particularly with COVID, we've seen so many people die cold and alone and, and you know, on FaceTime, literally trying to communicate with their loved ones. And it's, it breaks my heart. I mean, it's tragic. Let me ask you a question, Eric. When you, before you, when did you sell your company? When did you sell it? Yeah, in March of uh, 2021. So you lived through COVID hell in New York doing home calls. How was that? It, it had to be unbelievable. It was, it was very, very difficult. Our community got hit particularly hard, very hard. I'm big into social media. And so I was one of those doctor social media influencers within the community on Facebook. And I have more than like, we have up to 5,000 friends on Facebook. You can have any more. And I would see on my feed every day, a funeral, every day, you know, people in mourning. So that was very challenging. At the same time, the opportunity was telemedicine because we were able to help people and navigate people and through telemedicine uh, once the legislature allowed that. And, and we were very happy to do that. We were one of the few, like a lot of medical offices were just closed. Because physicians didn't know what to do as well. People were all scared. We get it. But we had our team go to people's homes and it was, again, it was rewarding. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the colleagues I had to travel to New York to help, you know, in Arizona got hit bad, but nothing like New York. I mean, you guys were ground, literally ground zero again. Um, that must have, and you were doing how you were doing home visits for God's sakes. That had to And be it was a team. It, I'll, I'll tell you, it was really my team. They, you know, sometimes you have in medicine, you clock in, you clock out. Look, my shift is over at 5 p.m. Whoever's following up, follow up, whoever's on call. My team didn't have that. Like my team, they're always on, on the vacation. They check labs to make sure their patients' labs are not like, I'm very proud of them. I really am. You know, something like That's Gina, cool. Maya, Alexei, Olga, like a whole team, Isaac, like really dedicated people. They're the right people in the right seat. Yeah, at the right time. At the right time. Yeah, that's impressive. Well, the culture always stems from the top. You've got to build it from the ground up, but it always stems from the top. And so they emulate the leader, which was you. So strong work on that because you were the influencer there. Um, okay, tell us about iConnect. So iConnect is a uh, software company when, you know, being an entrepreneur and the reason I love entrepreneurship is because uh, I love music. And if you go on Facebook and you type in Chains music video, like Chains, you'll see a music video, which I produced along with the content and the music for drug awareness. And music is interesting because you don't just create one song, right? You create music so people can like it and enjoy it. So entrepreneurs too, you don't just create one company. You want to bring value and bring happiness through the company, many songs. And so I wanted to work with physicians and I saw that chronic care management and remote patient monitoring were really coming into the forefront. And I said, I love technology. Why don't I start a, a tech company, a healthcare tech company? 
And it wasn't smooth sailing. There's a lot of learning, right? The developers you choose, the, the, the messaging, a lot of learning. But in the end, we, we have many physicians using our, our platform, delivering remote patient monitoring and CCM to patients, generating revenue for themselves, saving the system expenditures and quality for patients. Yeah, in, in real time. Yeah, I mean, I had a quick story. I, I love experiences because I think they, they really paint the right picture. Had a lady who is in her 80s, went to see her cardiologist. She was on remote patient monitoring with us. She went to see her cardiologist. And then all of a sudden, we noticed that her blood pressure is 80 over 50. Her baseline is like 110, 120. Like, whoa, we got the alert because it's live, right? Our team called. Lo and behold, she was started on a beta blocker because she had a little bit of CHF on the echo and her blood pressure was 80 over 50. She was asymptomatic, but hey, you know, a little bit of orthostatic and she's over eight, boom, and then you got a hip fracture. We caught yeah. it in time, spoke to the cardiologist, discontinued it, success story, all with a simple remote patient monitoring device. That is a great story. I just had a patient the other day in the emergency department. Her heart rate was 30. And, oh, wow. you know, she was, and yeah, it was a really junctional rhythm. And, and so I did, her pressure was fine. And, and I'm going to try a little, she wasn't having chest pain. So I'll try the lazarpine, did nothing. And she stayed pretty stable. So long story short is finally I get a hold of her records. Finally, her daughter comes in and finally I realized she's put on a beta blocker. I'm like, uh, probably the beta blocker. But had she had the remote patient monitoring, she would have known this at home. You guys would have had all her medications and it would have been one, so you guys could have stopped it and she needed to come in great. I would have, you know, I would have known the answer and given her glucagon way before we did. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about what the future is holding. Number one, for remote patient monitoring. Number two, with clinical decision support systems that will assist physicians. Because look, you and I look at an EHR, but we're not looking at every single spot. It's very hard. Whereas you'll have AI in the background scanning and suggesting to us saying, hey, doc, look, you may want to focus on this thing over here. Oh, wow. I think it was there. So I, I love where healthcare is going for that. Exactly what you said. You know, I, I still envision putting on the pair of underwear and the T-shirt and all of a sudden, you know, your biometrics, AI alerts you to issues. You know, I've worked on things where, you know, picking up urinary tract infections. I mean, just all sorts of things based upon these simple, you know, basically chip, you know, chip in the clothing sort of things. So very, very cool. You're way ahead of your way ahead of the time. That's awesome. Now, did you know, is it something culturally with you about being an entrepreneur? Did you know when you were 12? I mean, are you from an entrepreneurial family? I mean, you're talking from a family of badasses, frankly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, a lot of it comes from my dad. My dad, uh, really, I was the only son, the only child. He spent a lot of time with me. They were immigrants. Again, experience. My mom was a cardiologist in Uzbekistan. Dad's an internist. They come to America. They have no money. And I remember as a child, seven, eight years old, my mom was on the floor cleaning a bathroom for a super wealthy family as a cardiologist from Uzbekistan in New York, cleaning bathrooms. Fast forward 15, 20 years, dad becomes a dentist, builds a beautiful house from scratch himself, right? The American dream where it's uh, meritocracy, right? We're not entitled to anything, but if you come to this country and you work hard, hey, something good can happen. That's why, uh, that's why I think I got my entrepreneurship from is my parents and God bless them. Wow. I, I love them. Yeah. They, and I'm doing the same thing to my kid now, you know, my son, I'm, wow. I'm, I have six kids, five boys, one girl, and I'm, I'm doing the same thing. So were they considered, part of my ignorance, were they considered privileged in Uzbekistan because of their profession? Was, were they in the upper echelon? No, no. You know, physicians in, in Russia would struggle. They would get 
paid very, very little. They wouldn't have enough to live. It was a very difficult environment in Russia. And so when they came here and they saw that, hey, if you work hard, you can achieve a lot. That's where I see that from, you know, and I want my kids to have the same drive. That's amazing. So what, what advice, I see this for mentoring, what advice are you telling? And because you do mentoring, you're director, vice director of undergraduate medical education for Kingsport Jewish Medical Center. What advice are you giving these kids? Is it the work hard and achieve advice? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, number one is begin with the end in mind. You know, don't just sign up for something just because, oh, my mom said or someone said, like, make sure you enjoy it and make sure to calculate. You know, if you want to be an ER doc, make sure to begin with the end in mind. Yeah. mentorship, hang out with people who are in that field, right? Um, get the grades, number one. Number two is from a patient care, one of my doctors told me, uh, Dr. Shakai, he used to say to us all, don't be quacks as doctors. I don't want you guys to be a quacks as doctors. And I say that to them too. Uh, and, and we'll kind of, maybe we'll finish with this, but I'll, I'll say another experience of, I, I say this to my students all the time. I was in first year residency. My kid, Yosef, uh, was just born. He just had his circumcision. Three weeks later, my wife calls me. I'm in residence. Eric, he's crying. He's just non-stopping crying. I don't know what to do. I run home. I say, okay, let's figure it out. I undress them all. I see, oh, wow, big inguinal hernia, right? I'm like, okay, little kid has a hernia. And we have it in our, in our family. So I'm like, okay, cool. Rush him to the ER. It's late at night. The third year surgical resident. I'm a first year internal medicine guy. I mean, what do I know? I just started. I don't know anything. This guy's a third year surgical resident. Comes in. He's like, don't worry about it, man. It's reducible. I'm like, are you sure, man? Because I'm like, I'm looking. I mean, I'm just a first year. What do I know? But hey, it doesn't look. No, no, don't worry about it. It wasn't reducible. He just didn't want to deal with it. He said, let the morning shift deal with it. Dr. Kessler, amazing surgeon. He came in the morning panicking. He's like, this is getting necrotic already. In the meantime, my kid started to get septic, right? Needed to have emergency surgery. And I learned from that, like, look, this is my son. But at the flip side, I tell my medical students, this will be someone else's son. So how, or this will be someone else's grandmother. So how can you reframe anytime you take care of somebody? This is my mom. How would I act if this was actually my mom? Or how would I act if this, no, no, not if this was a patient, but this was actually my mom. Would my medical guidance change? And although we don't want to admit it, a lot of times, we will say different things. We will say, look, maybe you should do this if it's your mom or dad. You know what I mean? And so that's the message I impart on them, some of the messages. That's a great message. So I love this quote by Sigmund Freud. One day in retrospect, the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. That sounds like how you approach life. Yes, yes. Every challenge is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow, to learn from, and it's a blessing to be alive. We're very blessed. Just got to work hard every day. Right. Well, you see someone, you see someone with great wisdom. So give me some, impart some wisdom to me. I can How get some you? wisdom from you, John. I mean, I'm looking at your background, JD, MBA, MD. I mean, I, I want to be like you when I grow up. Well, ditto. But I want your perspective on this because you have some really unique perspective. I, I can tell. What are you saying and how are you dealing with these physicians who are espousing all the anti-vax, anti-mask, and you know all this BS. How, how are you dealing with them? Because I'm starting to get more than a little frustrated with the level of bullshit out there. It's tough. It's very tough. I mean, we have to follow the science and follow the data. It just makes, just makes sense. You look at the numbers of folks who are hospitalized now. Obviously, look, I think everyone should think about having the decision themselves, for sure. Like a human being needs to be able to decide for themselves. But when you talk about science and you see there, think about polio, if we would have been like, ah, don't give the, what, what would have happened? Like, what would have happened? Exactly. 
You know, think about antibiotics. If you would have been like, no, just give ginger and garlic. Don't give antibiotics. Don't give venk when you have sepsis. You know, don't give imipenem. Don't give none of that. Garlic and pepper. It will help you and breathe it in every day. You'll be fine. Like we understand, you know, so people should follow the signs. Be careful giving recommendations of people not to get vaccinated because if they pass away because they listen to you, it will be on your soul. Because they may have been on the, on the verge of saying, you know, what, I should get it. And then Dr. Smith comes on TV and says, you shouldn't get it. And then they catch it and then they die. Someone lost a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, a father. I literally had not quite hundreds, but a lot of people in the emergency department who are like literally about to innovate them. And maybe I made the wrong choice. Yeah, you did make the wrong choice. We wouldn't be here but for that choice. And it's, what the hell? And, How and, and it's sad. It's sad because you're there in the front line seeing it in the ER and telling yourself, man, this could have been prevented. He could have been home having dinner with wifey today. Holy, and I had to eat. I mean, Arizona, we had it pretty easy. I mean, God knows we're not in New York, and it was still it still sucked. Um, I don't want to end on a downer. Eric, how can people find out more about you? Because I think you've got more wisdom to impart. No, thanks so much. LinkedIn is great. You know, they can type in Eric Ilyaev on LinkedIn. Facebook, I share a lot of family, music. I have a song with my daughter where I sing to her and talk about when she's going to get married, how it's going to be. It's a really cool song. You know, so check me out on, on social media. And it's a pleasure. I was say, how do they find that song you mentioned on, on Facebook? Yeah, so they go to Eric Ilyaev and then they'll go on, on public so they can click on the videos and they'll see a song and my cute little daughter is sitting there. She's a little older now and there's a song. You'd love it too, John. You should check it out. I'm sure you'll love it. I'm a frustrated musician, so I absolutely will check it out. <laughs> so thank you very much. Eric, this has been a real pleasure. I've learned a lot and I know our listeners will too. So thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. And great, and I great feel, work. Thank you, John. I feel honored to being on your show, honestly, and the good work that you're doing. Again, I looked at some of your backgrounds. So impressed. With, with what you're doing for everyone. God bless you and your family. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.